Hello there, this is Ricardo Silvestre. I'm back with another episode of the Liberal Europe podcast in lockdown, European Liberal Forum project, where we talk with some of the guests from the webinar series Liberties in Lockdown from ELF, where we tackle some of the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic in the European Union. And today I'll be talking with Thomas Clausen. Thomas is a policy advisor for education and research at the Liberal Institute in the Friedrich Naumann Foundation for Freedom. And he was a guest on a webinar organized by the European Liberal Forum with the title, The Show Must Go On Online, Education, Equality and the COVID-19. So with no further ado, I bring you Thomas Clausen. I'm here with Thomas Clausen. Thomas, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. And um, I asked Thomas to continue this conversation since I saw you on the webinar from the European Liberal Forum, where you introduced some very interesting ideas. And I would like to go over them with you a little more. For example, the concept of what you called an hybrid school. But first of all, let us tell us what the, does that mean for you? So I think the concept basically refers to a combination of digital and analog teaching. And this relates back to the basic problem that we have, that we will not be able to return to normal schooling anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So what we see now is that schools offer a very condensed timetable, a few hours every couple of days, because class sizes have to be halved. One needs to make sure that uh, pupils from different groups don't meet each other, um, but the number of teachers, of course, remains the same. And if you also have uh, taken into consideration that teachers who belong to a risk group can't uh, come to school in a lot of cases, um, the fact that they still have to work on online learning and distance learning, and it basically means that we would have to triple the amount of teachers. That's, of course, completely unrealistic. So we need some type of hybrid school where some teaching takes place in the classroom but it is complemented with distance learning. So do you think that, as you mentioned, this will be easier to apply, easier than we think could be, or on the other, or the other way around, we have no idea how hard this is going to be? What is your intuition on that? Um, I think at the moment we probably underestimate how difficult it is because we can't just continue um, doing schooling as usual. Um, and even uh, when uh, pupils come to the classroom, the teaching needs to look slightly different. So mm -hmm. what we have at the moment is a situation where um, students come to the classroom, they are introduced, um, you know, some new concepts are introduced, and then they get homework to sort of fortify it. And I think when it comes to hybrid schooling, we actually need to um, turn this around. And there's um, a concept called the flipped classroom, which means that pupils prepare a new topic at home and then this topic is fortified in the classroom, some questions are solved and, and the teacher can check whether the students actually understood what they did at home. And I feel that this is much more important now because we cannot rely on the classroom alone to introduce new material. We need to basically um, enable uh, students to learn for themselves and then the classroom is, uh, has to be used for some very specific um, um, learning experiences. 
Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, there's some sort of danger, for example, that pupils think that two hours of school every other day is enough. So they go to school <laughs> and then they go home and they uh, understandably think they, they, are, they are done with the day. But of course, it's not the case. And this brings me to my next question, and you already touched a little bit, which is what are the opportunities? On the other hand, what are the threats? One of those threats you just mentioned could you know, cause this false understanding what school is. Uh, do, you, do you have some other in mind that you would like to share with us? So I think one of the basic challenges is uh, we need to think about what tools we are using. Um, it's, it has been two months now, and it's still at least in Germany, not clear what software teachers are allowed to use, whether it's commercial video conferencing software, for instance, or whether they have to wait for uh, the state to provide them with some sort of um, software. We still have the trouble with fast internet, with devices, but also with IT training and competencies for both students and teachers. Um, and we need to catch up with the infrastructure very, very fast. Um, and you can't do a hybrid school if sort of the digital part is still lacking. And we also keep in, need to keep in mind that it's important to get everyone on board. Of course, some students and some pupils are already completely able to move between the classroom and an online learning environment. But in some cases, um, pupils don't even have a smartphone, let alone a tablet or a laptop. And we need to make very sh- uh, sure that there's no digital divide between um, pupils from poorer families and uh, people from richer. Um, I think the we have to move towards a solution where we have virtual classrooms maybe teachers can record explanatory videos um, and we should also think very hard about introducing a specialized learning software where i mean for example in germany there's a very popular software where people uh, where pupils can track the progress they have with particular books so it's a reading software and it's a very good motivational tool and um, when it comes to language teaching you know, vocab training, etc. This can also be done by a, um, a software. And then we can focus the classroom really on those um, elements of learning that cannot be replaced by a computer. So there's a very interesting book by Charles Fadel, Maya Bialik and Bernie Trilling called The Four-Dimensional Education. And I think this fits very well with the concept of a hybrid school. So they, they say it's school and learning is not just about knowledge, and skills, but also about character and meta-learning. And when it comes to providing a hybrid school, we need to sort of think what sides of learning can be done in the classroom, what um, aspects of learning can also be done at home. This is fascinating. And I'm going to put to reference for this book, the four dimensions of education. And uh, Thomas, this is a very important point that you just mentioned, and that is uh, digital could be a great, a great equalizer, but at the same time could, you know, even increase uh, disparities and asymmetries. And uh, you're thinking, you're thinking, and you're talking about Germany now. Let's imagine all the European Union together and all the different countries and with with their different uh, issues. So that is something for us to be very aware. Now, the other thing that I would like to have your opinion is related to. All right, let's say that we can put this thing working and, and it is working satisfactorily. But then there's other dimensions that we have to take care of it. One of them has to do with the environment at home, you know, from what is the family harmony 
to put it mm -hmm. on a more romantic way. <laughs> what is the avail availability of the parents? What is the tolerance that they have to go through all this process? So what are your main concerns on that? So the first thing one should note probably is that it has been an extremely difficult time for a lot of parents in all European countries. It's um, especially hard, of course, for single parents or uh, for parents who might not even have a lot of rooms in their apartment or their flat. And if suddenly the children are there 24-7, that can put a huge strain on um, on family life uh, to the to the point, and we talked about this in the um, in this uh, webinar that it can also endanger, literally endanger the children. But of course, and when it comes uh, to uh, to the next couple of months, we also need to be very careful about what it does in terms of restructuring, say, gender roles. There was a very interesting study by the WZB Berlin that asked um, men and uh, women how they experienced this period of distance learning. And it turned out that it was much more stressful for the women. And they also were, you know, they had to do much more, basically combining housework, uh, homeschooling and their own job. And we need to be very careful that we now don't turn to outdated gender roles that we thought we had overcome just because we have this new situation. Um, and when it comes to solutions, we need to make sure that hybrid education is sort of aligned with work and family. That can mean something like a ride to home office, but clearly that doesn't work for everyone, police, doctors, logistics workers, food workers, but it also sort of, one shouldn't, think that home home office means they, there's time to teach, to homeschool the children because it's still uh, normal office work. So that, that's going to be very, very difficult. And there are no easy solutions, I think. Um, in the long term, I think it also means rethinking what school meal means. So again, we have to go back to face-to-face -face teaching as soon as possible because there's no substitute for actual physical presence in the classroom. But we can sort of think a bit harder about, for example, when uh, schooling takes place. Uh, there have been some discussions about summer schools or Saturday learning, and maybe this can open up some free space again for families. But it's going to be a very tough challenge, I think. Indeed. And it is interesting that I imagine a lot of people listening to you and nodding their heads vigorously and saying, yes, Thomas, yes, you're absolutely right. Now, um, still on that, you were just mentioning the social aspect of it. And even if I don't have children, uh, my best friend has, and she told me that her daughter is having a great time online. She's always, you know, spending time with her friends, doing games and doing, you know, uh, meetings and so on and so forth. So getting back to what you were saying, that is the need to have a social uh, contact, to have children in school physically. But on the other hand, we have this kind of wave where it al it's almost like acceptable to trade that kind of socializing for online socializing. Is that a problem? Is, should I say something to my best friend about that? What, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, oh, I, I don't think it's um, a problem. And I think uh, online socializing can work very well for a lot of people, including myself, I have to say. I, um, when, e even when I was basically in lockdown and in my little apartment 24-7, I was still able to play video games with my friend, which is a bit of a uh, hobby that I kept uh, throughout all these years. 
and then it feels almost like everything is normal. You hear your friends, you have a joint activity, uh, you can even see them. So it doesn't feel all that isolated. Um, but clearly that doesn't work for anyone. And the, I definitely don't want uh, to come across as giving the um, sort of general education advice that now every child should sign up to World of Warcraft or something similar. I think that would probably be, the educational outcome would probably be not ideal. But um, I think there's definitely um, a lot to be said in favor for, you know, video calls, social networks, etc. But um, and for those for those children who have a good time, I think it's excellent. Um, the, the only piece of advice I would have in that case is it's also important to have digital free zones. Um, so, and it's also, of course, and this is a bit more dire, it's, um, it's also there are the usual dangers of social media that can be very stressful um, for children to, for example, I mean, we, we know the usual problems of bullying, of comparing yourself to children who might have a good time. So the, these dangers uh, persist, and I don't think it's a silver bullet for all the problems. But more importantly, I don't think that online activities can actually replace all the social contacts. I mean, I think physical, physical contact is very important. Maybe there's a difference in uh, cultures here, and some European countries might, uh, you know, there might be a stronger culture of actually physical uh, contact than in some of the more... Uh, Close off countries, let's put it this way. But I think in, in general, every every human being needs physical presence and needs to talk, see them. Um, you know, they need to, to touch each other to sort of have some sort of physical activity like playing football or all these things they are missing. And I think this is a huge uh, risk when it comes to the for the when it comes to the development of uh, young children. I think they need this type of activity and this type of also um, seeing each other physically, and when we are talking about sort of balancing the right to health and the right to education, I think we need to take into consideration that when children are stuck at home, especially when they don't have siblings, um, this is also a huge risk for the health of the child. These are great points. I couldn't agree with you more, particularly with the part of the uh, physical education, meaning gaining skills and know how to work in teams. Uh, so we're talking about sports, of course. So yes, let's hope that that comes back soon in this hybrid system that you're saying. Maybe the I other can... one, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, maybe I can add one more thing that also goes back sure. to this uh, four dimensional education book that I mentioned. I mean, they also, in terms of this, they basically include character as well in what needs to be learned. So these are qualities such as resilience, mindfulness, leadership, and these are very, very difficult to train online, if almost impossible. And this is precisely where we need to go back to, to the classroom and to the playing field, because these are also um, precisely the sort of qualities that children and indeed everyone needs for coping with this difficult situation, especially resilience and especially the idea that you know you you have to navigate ambiguity you have to just withstand a very difficult and potentially also very stressful situation and these again i don't think that ai and an ai teacher can replace this you need a teacher and you need um, pedagogy for this 
you work on research and uh, something that I would like to sh uh, to um, get your attention to it is the fact that we know that uh, online you were just mentioning about the bullying and particularly there are some very very troublesome data coming from young young girls how bullying because boys bull boys do bullying in a certain way a more physical way girls do it more on an emotional way so something that i also think would be very interesting for people like you that are on the front lines of this is to see how much if all this goes into the digital realm if actually could be a good thing or a bad thing because we don't know that yet so that'll be something that will be really interesting to see if, if all this goes online i just don't know where this thing will go if it'll get better if it'll get worse so i don't know if you want to have if you have some thoughts on that okay first of all a little footnote um i work on research policies so how to um not only on schools, but also on university structures and so forth. But I do, I'm not an education researcher at the moment. But um, I think when it comes back to to the question of um, bullying, etc., I mean, one needs to be very careful about certain types of stereo uh, about certain stereotypes. So um, it can get very uh, emotionally emotional when it comes to boys and girls can also be physical, and then um, it's 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 complex. But the I think the, the biggest danger here is that children are sort of um, there's a lack of oversight nowadays because teachers cannot observe what is happening online or at home. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, difficult when it comes to the relationship between the child and the parents, because sometimes a school can also be a safety net. So a teacher can see when a child is being maltreated at home. But of course, and there's this whole other and much bigger dimension that it, teacher cannot see when um, a child is being bullied yes. because he is not on a WhatsApp group, he's not on a video call, and of course he shouldn't be, but that means that it's that it's very difficult for him to intervene at an early level, which I think is important. So if there's already a complete pattern of bullying, it's very difficult to um, counteract that from outside, especially as a teacher. But if it's in an early stage, if he sees, oh, there's a child that isn't playing with the others, he can simply go and say, well, you know, everyone should participate in a, in a particular game. And then usually these situations are solved easily. But if it's all happening online, it can take much more time for such a situation to be resolved and potentially also too long. So we need to um, yeah, be aware of this and see what, what patterns emerge in the future. Very good points. I was mentioning um, most of the work that is done by Jonathan Haidt uh, about uh, bullying online. So, and mm. also, I'll, I can put this reference so that if people want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's very interesting research. Awesome. All right, so we're getting to the end of our conversation, and I would like to um, introduce a, a, a second part of our conversation, and that is, you were mentioning that, of course, you know better the reality of Germany. We were talking about differences like, for example, in access to Internet and access to technology across the uh, European Union. And I've been talking with a, a lot of uh, other people like you that are very aware of the COVID-19 effects on society. And one thing that I've been noticing is that people have been telling me either if it's educational, if it's economic, if it's financially, to start having more and more centralized decisions. 
So mm -hmm. I would like to uh, challenge you on that because there is a, a, a precedent, which was the, Bo the Bologna process where we're trying to mm -hmm. standardize uh, um, at higher education level, of course. Do you think that we could move on to this kind of solution? Do you think are we going to move on to that kind of solution? Would you not recommend it at all? What is your opinion on that? Um, I think I'm not touching the Bologna process, but I think the only um, point one should probably note in that regard is that it took a long time and it was very, very stressful, especially at the beginning. So in the early stages of implementing Bologna, things didn't go quite as planned, I think. And we cannot, uh, I don't think that we should put this amount of pressure on an education system that is, again, that is now undergoing a severe crisis. Um, but on, in general, I think, first of all, for those um, listeners who are not aware of the situation in Germany, it's a federal republic. That means a lot of decision-making power lies with the lender, the states like Hesse, Bavaria or Hamburg. And in a lot of areas, of course, central government has appropriated more and more powers over the years. But in education and in health, things are different. And that are, of course, the two key areas at the moment. So fighting a pandemic, for instance, is primarily the task of regional public health officers. So it's not even the state level, but the regional level. Although we have, with the Robert Koch Institute, an excellent um, institution that works on a federal level. Um, and of course, there's a lot of coordination going on, but Berlin is not necessarily in the driving seat, especially when it comes to questions of when do we open schools or cafes, and there the regional health office can simply uh, make their own decisions. Um, and then when it comes to education, it's even clearer that the states are in charge. So there's basically no power uh, with the federal government. There's a coordinative body, the Assembly of Education Ministers, KMK, but their powers are very limited and their decisions are not binding, and unless they are backed by sort of interstate treaties. Um, and in general, I think there are a lot of advantages to this. And one of uh, my favorite uh, liberal thinkers, uh, Lord Ralph Dahndorf, he was very fond of federalism in the education system because it adds an element of competition and it means that every state can adjust their curriculum and the ways the schools are run according to its specific needs. Um, City-states such as Hamburg and Berlin face very different challenges than states with a large rural population, such as, for example, Saxony. And it's also some sort of safety mechanism. So it's only possible to mess up one education system at the time. Um, and there could, of course, be also a positive take on, uh, positive take on this, and that's that there's room for experimentation. Um, so that's a general situation. I think one can already see a link to the current uh, pandemic, because clearly in a city-state such as Hamburg, there's also the, um, the health risks are very different than in a rural area. Um, I mean, there was a huge spike in COVID-19 cases in Hamburg at the very beginning because Hamburg is basically the only state that has um, a, sky, a skiing holiday. So all the young people went to um, Switzerland and to Austria. There they caught um, the virus and then they brought it to Hamburg. So there was a huge spike at the beginning. And then you probably need a much more severe lockdown than in a rural area where there's no, uh, no virus at all. Um, but in general, there have also be, always been problems with this federal model of education, despite the fact that I personally am a huge fan of the federal education system and one should be very open about the sort of the downsides. It's quite difficult to compare the school results uh, between different states. But of course, you can also don't really do that between schools and not sometimes not even within a school. And it can be stressful. Uh, families have to move. 
Um, and of course, the parents in the states with a weaker education system are frustrated that their children appear to get a worse education than their peers in supposedly better states. Um, vice versa, however, the stronger states are afraid that a centralized education system would lower overall standards. But anyways, that's the big debate and it's been going on literally for centuries, so um, we're not going to solve this now. <laughs> but when it comes to the uh, coronavirus crisis, I think some things have changed, changed. And I wouldn't say we need, now need to push for a centralized um, uh, education system, but we need some sort of, we need to rethink the relationship between the federal level and the centralized state. And I think that's probably not only true for Germany, but also for other European countries. So, for instance, we need a huge amount of resources when it comes to acquiring, uh, acquiring uh, devices, you know, tablets for pupils who come from a family that cannot afford them. We need IT infrastructure, etc. These are things where it doesn't really make sense that every single state develops their own system. Um, one of the things that we definitely need is a digital student ID so students can log on safely um, and within the, the boundaries of data protection laws uh, to some sort of online service. And again, it would be a huge nightmare if every single state would uh, you know, create their own ID system. And then there are some other roles where I think the, the central government can play um, a much bigger role than it is now. So teacher training academies, software and video solutions. There's also the question of what role the free market should play. Um, and there the, the central government could set some standards so that not every company has to cater to 16 different uh, standards. Um, but when it comes to teaching on the ground and how schools should behave and also what schools should be open and not. I do think that federalism adds a huge layer of resilience to um, um, to the school system. And in fact, I think it has it, my impression from the crisis, although I'm not, of course, an expert on um, the economy or the situation, the, the sort of the biological side of it. My hunch is that federal states have been much better at coping with the crisis than centralized states, but that's mm -hmm. um, maybe that's my own federal bias. I could add, uh, finally, a, a quote by one of my favorite historians who said that in the case of Germany, one could almost call it a rule that whenever the, the centralized state was powerful and makes sort of a mischief, then the German states disappear. But whenever the fall comes after pride, the states are the ones that pay the bill and have to reestablish order. And I, th I think there's some truth in that, in that it is good to have a functioning regional government that can step in, that can react much more quickly and that knows what's going on uh, on the ground. Because um, I think the situ situation is so complex that it's almost a bit too too big for central governments to, to tackle everything at once. But there should be coordination, of course. It shouldn't be the states against the central government. Then um, we would definitely run into the ground in the long or short term, in the long, or short, in the long run or in the short run. All right. Um, you uh, opened up a couple of highways that could we could follow on a future conversation. I'm going to ask you to come back to the podcast and... We'll talk about just this topic in particular, which is a fascinating conversation. Uh, I'd love that, yes. Well, Thomas, this has been a great and very educational, which is, an, I know, a word that... You... I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. And I'm gonna, now I'm going to ask you to, for you to tell our listeners where they can 
find more about this, read, you know, get involved. Where can you where you direct people to go and, and know more about this? So, of course, I would advertise the a website of the Free Naumann Foundation and our excellent uh, Twitter account, which is uh, freiheit.org. Um, so that's our website and uh, Twitter is FNF Europe. Um, but most of the stuff is in German. So for those uh, who prefer some English resources, I would um, direct them to For Liberty, which is an excellent uh, website that brings in perspectives, liberal perspectives from all sorts of, um, from all European countries. You have um, guest articles and also some articles on education that I would recommend. Perfect. We're going to put all this in the description of the podcast. Thomas, it was a great pleasure to have you on the podcast and I hope to have you back soon. Thank you very much. Um, I really enjoyed this. The Liberal Europe podcast It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum.